desperately need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're gonna have some real healing. We've gotta have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. Welcome to Buffalo What's Next. Today we're talking water in the city of Buffalo and more specifically when it comes to water for residents in the city of Buffalo, water shutoffs. And you're going to be, I don't think, necessarily surprised if you've been hearing some of the issues raised during this program that uh, the highest proportion of those shutoffs happen in some of the poorest parts of the city of Buffalo. With us today from the Partnership for the Public Good, the research associate who uh, put together a detailed report on this issue, Anna Blatto. Thanks for joining us. I thank you so much for having me. Uh, most certainly uh, pleased to have you with us. Uh, let's just maybe structurally talk about how water works in the city of Buffalo before we kind of get into things that might help uh, educate us and enlighten this discussion just a little bit about what is uh, obviously a very serious issue people living without water next to a great lake here yeah. in the city of buffalo how is this structured there's what a, a private company that's involved in buffalo water how does this work yeah so right now as it stands the city of buffalo still sees water as a public utility so it's publicly owned the system is publicly owned but starting in 1997 the city started contracting private companies to manage billing and distribution kind of the nitty-gritty aspects of the system so we look at the the um way that buffalo water is operated as a public private partnership where the city manages or uh, essentially manages overseas what's going on with the water system, financial decisions, et cetera. But Veolia is a private company that does the management, that does the billing, that puts together proposals for infrastructure improvements and submits them to the water board that can approve or deny them. So in that sense, the city still retains ownership of the assets and has an entity that oversees the management, but Veolia is the private company that actually manages and bills for Buffalo Water. A couple of questions about Veolia. First, why does the city, why did the city need Veolia to be involved? So originally, Veolia is, is I believe, the third private company that, that has managed Buffalo Water. And originally, they brought in a private company in 1997 after experiencing some financial hardships in, in the 80s and 90s. A lot of cities across the United States experienced financial difficulties sure. during that time period. And the administration at the time, Massiel administration, along with the Common Council, were for for several years brainstorming ways to improve the city's financial rating and one of the ways that they 
looked into doing that was by selling the assets of the water system to a, a branch of the city government called the Buffy, Buffalo Municipal Water Finance or the Buffalo Municipal Water Finance Authority. And so they retained kind of ownership. So it was kind of in that sense separated from the city. And then through that, the Buffalo Water Board was kind of joined together to, to oversee everything. And as was common practice in the 90s for a lot of public utilities or other kind of publicly, previously publicly managed city or municipal elements, the city said, hey, we could probably save money by bringing in a company, a private company, to manage the system. So some changes in tax code allowed for these contracts to be made with private companies without implicating the you know, tax-free status of the public agencies. And in that regard, they decided to sign a contract with uh, American Anglican at the time that uh, be- was the first private company that managed Buffalo Water. And what was really interesting, there's actually a very deep public discourse around whether or not the city should engage a private company in this way. I would think so, yeah. Yeah, so there was was a master's thesis, and the majority of this, uh, the research on on that time frame came from this master's thesis that was done, I believe, in, in 2010, and it looked at Buffalo News articles around this topic, and the city was arguing, you know, we're in a bad financial situation, we're losing money by, by you know, ma- the management of this system that could be done much more uh, efficiently and much more what they assume to be cost-friendly by putting in this private company that has all this experience managing municipal water. And then there were union representatives, on the other hand, who opposed it because of the potential for job loss. Okay. And, you know, if we bring in this private company, they're going to bring in private employees and what happens to all the So that was jobs. one of the bigger uh, criticisms or blocks was that part of it. Uh, union jobs, understandable that that would be the case. Not so much citizens stepping up and saying, we, we don't want to turn over our asset to a private company. Right, exactly. And I think that, I mean, in, in this sense, it was, it was less about, I, it, because the city was still planning on retaining ownership and that was part of the conversation as well. You know, I'm sure it came up as to whether or not they were going to retain ownership or not, because there's different ways private companies can be involved in public utility um, function. And in this case, they decided on a management model where the city retains the assets and Veolia just manages or whatever private company, the private company involved manages uh, distribution, manages certain elements sure. of, the, of, the, of the system. So at the time, uh, there, there were little bits and pieces of public discourse around, do we want this? Do we not want this? But I think there, there was a, the most opposition coming from union leaders and representatives. It's interesting. Uh, I guess then the idea is it's supposed to be more efficient. It's supposed to save money. Is it saving money? Do, how can we tell? Most research has suggested that that's not the case. Um, and, and it might be partially practiced because it, it, it's easier, thought to be easier to say, let's bring in this company that has worldwide experience doing this. But studies that have been conducted looking at water 
management across the country. There's one study in particular that looked at 500 water systems that were mixed between public and private management, saw that costs for consumers tended to be higher when water systems were privately managed. I think the average was $185 annually. That was the average higher cost if you're involved or, or paying for water through a privately managed system. $185 more a year. Yep. And uh, that, you know, that's what the, that study showed for the systems that they assessed. Now, yeah, that's not, we're not talking about Buffalo there. We're talking about a, a group of cities that are studied. Just curious, what's the average uh, water bill in the city of Buffalo? Looking at Buffalo, I'm feeling, let's say, a household of four, water, not sewer, probably about 700 a year. So it's not out of the question that people are paying another $150 more for their water because, again, I'm, I'm drawing some conclusions here that probably sure. can't be necessarily factually backed up, but there's the idea that, that that $700 bill could be a little less, perhaps. It could be more, it could be more efficiently handled. If, if, the, if the case is, if the city falls into that trend of pri- you know, privately managed companies tend to charge more, then I, that, that conclusion c- could be drawn from, from that, yeah. Um, curious about the idea of, uh, of um, finding out this information because now you have a private company, you have a, a, a water board that oversees us. So these are kind of uh, these quasi-public-private uh, entities. Getting this information that you've been able to come up with, how easy or difficult was it? So data transparency in utilities is notoriously difficult, even though they are publicly owned utilities and there should be full data transparency. And in a sense, there there is. It's very challenging to, to get the data. There's no dashboard. You can't go online. There's no analytics site where you can see all these data points. Uh, the, the reality is that all of these, the data that we collected had to be obtained through FOIL requests. And FOIL is freedom of information law. You have to submit these semi-technical requests to whatever agency. Because they can be discarded for the smallest error or miscalculation. Absolutely. And if it's too broad, they ask you to follow up. They are able to, they have to respond to your initial request within a certain amount of time, but there could be substantial delays with actually getting data from the agencies. And you can get quite a bit of data through, through the FOIL process, but it really takes a little bit of uh, precision to uh, learn the language or uh, present the language to be able to get what you need, you know, on a first try. And how many, can you give me a, a ballpark? How many FOIL requests did you have to make? Between me and the folks that I've, I've worked directly with, probably a dozen. Wow. If not, if not a little more than that. And you don't necessarily want to uh, mischaracterize people who are, are there to help or not help from a, uh, of these entities, but uh, generally speaking, not easy. It's not particularly easy, and I don't think it's necessarily the fault of the people who are fulfilling the requests. I just think a lot of the data is probably stored in such a way that makes it timely and difficult to give out. So, I mean, of course, they have to protect themselves as a you know make, making sure that they're omitting maybe public privacy data, issues, privacy. things like that. Exactly. Okay. So, the way that. Uh, I mean, and in Buffalo Water, they may store their data in different ways, but the data that they were able to give us in a, in a, in a way that we were able to kind of dive into was through monthly reports that Veolia is required to submit to the Buffalo Water Board with 
various information about like servicing that they've done and the the infrastructure that they're working on and at broad data about shutoffs and the variety of shutoffs that were that were performed for the type of shutoffs but in order to dive really more deeply into understanding the scope of the shutoff issue geographically where are shutoffs happening what is the balance that folks are owing at the time or you know owing to the water board at the time that their water was shut off we had to request for worksheets turn off for non-payment worksheets and what this turned into was thousands of pages of scanned pdfs wow that have the you know the address the location of the shutoff um, and then the person performing the shutoff, which is the, the so Buffalo Water uh, the, is still under the umbrella of the Department of Public Works. And so even though Veolia manages water, the Department of Public Works employees are still the ones who are going out and actually performing shutoffs or turn-ons or whatever, you know, whatever is, is happening in terms of account operation in that regard. And they fill out these worksheets. So, of course, there's a lot of, you know how how accurate is the data that that is being filled out but it's really the only data that's that's available so taking it at face value in that case and what they would note is whether the property was occupied or vacant and whether the shutoff was successful whether the water was already found off when they went to attempt to turn it off um or whether they were not able to turn it off for another reason for example sometimes the curb stop where the where the valve actually is is blocked by a car and it might be as simple as that okay you know your water can't be shut off because the car is on top of you know on top of where the curb stop is we're talking with uh, anna blotto from uh the partnership for the public good we're talking water in the city of buffalo and as you can already tell Anna goes pretty deep with uh, this particular topic for sure well with this report that took about two years to come up with we've talked about a, a very painstaking process of coming up with this information which i always think is a, a fascinating part of this type of work because i think that's something that always gets lost is just you know you can see something in, in the newspaper or read something online but the actual legwork that it takes to to get these things done is very difficult and is also uh, crucial uh, to understanding what's really happening. Let's maybe just jump back to the lead a little bit. The findings, things that stood out from you as you started putting all this together. You go through all this process. What are you finding out about shutoffs in the city of Buffalo? Sure. So when we dove more deeply into shutoffs, we focused on data from the full calendar year 2019, so January 2019 to December 2019. Noteworthy, it's pre-pandemic. Okay. Yes, okay. pre-pandemic, and also the last full calendar year during which shutoffs were allowed. Uh, and I mean that to say that in March 2020, as part of the state of emergency when, when COVID first began, uh, for lack of a better word. Sure. Um, this, the New York state issued a moratorium on utility shutoffs and that prevented utility companies from shutting off essential utilities at any point in time for any reason, uh, except for, you know, that maybe nobody was living in the, in the property okay. or, or by request, you know, so they couldn't shut off for non-payment. And so then we saw this kind of pause on, on shutoffs, uh, of, of any kind and that has implications of its own. So 
but 2019 is substantial is, is, a, is a good place to start because it's it's where we may end up again if issues around this, the shutoff concern, affordability concerns, de- water debt concerns are not addressed. So that, you know, that that's the that's the importance of, of 2019 in in this report. And in in 2019, we saw just under 8,500 attempted water shutoffs. And not all of those shutoffs were in occupied properties. Some of them were, you know, in, in vacant properties, but but 62% of them were in occupied properties. So over over half of them were were in occupied properties. So and, over 4,000, almost 5,000 we're talking about here. Absolutely. Okay. And just as a, you know, reminder or or just to emphasize these are shutoffs exclusively for non-payment they are not necessarily shutoffs for any other reason May, they're not shutoffs by request they're they're shutoffs ex, you know pretty exclusively for non-payment and so when you look at the occupied properties so these are attempted shutoffs over 2500 of those experienced a successful shutoff so over 2500 properties occupied properties actually had their water turned off and that doesn't count the accounts or properties where the water was found off so there's a lot of different elements that pull into it and most alarmingly i think when we look at the the raw numbers or the the you know the balances looking at it at, you know from from the top up over 50 percent of those shutoffs were for balances of less than a thousand dollars so folks getting their water shut off less than $1,000, 11% of the overall number were for less than $500. So you're seeing this wide range of shutoffs for non-payment. Uh, let me just then dive into that just, just a little bit. So $1,000, we're saying that the average bill in a household in Buffalo is about five $600, right? So maybe a couple of years behind, maybe less. What about that? I mean, what... <laughs> how much grace period were gi- was given here or in, and to follow up on that uh is it different for different people are we finding that as well yes that is kind of the biggest concern and it's hard to go, go dive back or for kind of backtrack i guess sure to see how many notices were they given before their water was shut off? We don't really have an idea of that. Exactly. And there, the city of Buffalo is required, or the Buffalo Water is required to give notices of shutoff so that folks can then address the shutoff, can maybe go on payment plans, whatever whatever the case is. But, you know, if somebody owes, let's say, let's say somebody owes $2,500 and their water is shut off, we have really no good way of knowing how many times their water's been shut off in the past, we have no way of knowing what's been going on with their account. We have no way of knowing how many times they've received delinquency notice, whatever the case is. So then what we're left with is this incredibly large range of numbers. For residential shutoffs in 2019, the lowest number for an occupied shut or shutoff, the lowest balance owed for non-payment, $185. $185 in Somebody had their water shut off in 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 Buffalo uh, at some point in 2019. Yes. I, how much money? I mean, if this is a uh, out of the ballpark uh, question here, but how much m- revenue or income is coming into this entity um, every year? I mean, do we have any idea of that? I mean, we're saying it, it's less than 200 bucks. 
What kind of, how big so, of a company are we kind of talking about here? Uh, the company might not be the right word. Well, so I guess is it, it are we asking more about... The, just from like, the city of Buffalo. No, just from so. the city of Buffalo. I, it, there, the, that value I have somewhere deep, deep down in, okay, in my okay. numbers. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but uh, there, there's... But that would be a, 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 a pittance. Uh, uh, that, that, oh, no, oh, absolutely. And and really, the the numbers that... When when I when I think about this issue, I, you know I think about a, a lot of different numbers. One one number I think about in particular is, is the overall water debt that is owed by Buffalo Water customers, and that number is you know, somewhere in the like the the twelve to fourteen million dollars. Okay. And and when we're talking about that, we're not talking necessarily active customers. That could be historical debt, correct? Historical debt or. Some of it might include commercial debt, and that's a whole other, you know, other issue in and of itself. Sure. And for the for the purposes of the report, we focused heavily on residential properties to examine the impact on everyday people versus maybe a, a company that had gone bankrupt or bought a building and couldn't maintain it, something okay. like that. So this this small value the the you know pretty nominally $185 to see somebody's water shut off for that there there was on on the the, the opposite ends a property that had their water shut off and their the non-payment value was over 40,000 so it's this extreme range, and again, it's it's hard to backtrack. And of course, the sizes of the buildings might be a little bit different, so you're right. looking at different scales. But so just curious, because I know as we were talking earlier that you know a lot of this is number digging and and all that. But I know that you've taken it upon yourself also to kind of understand some of these stories mm. that are going on here. You said one person, one I said person, one customer, forty thousand dollars. Another one, $185. Do we know anything about some of these people who have had their water shut off? And maybe maybe it wasn't done with uh, the greatest of uh, equity? Yeah, I, I, we have some stories over over the years, and, and mainly by virtue of... So the issue that originally kind of brought to our attention through the Western New York Law Center, which is a nonprofit located right here in Buffalo, of course, and Steve Halpern, who's a lawyer, uh, who was a, a staff attorney at the, at the law center at the time, was seeing a trend of customers coming to him and other attorneys at the law center saying, I'm, I'm in this water debt. I don't know what to do. I have, I have this debt. I have my water shut off. What, you know, what steps can I take? Um, I, you know, I, I feel X, Y, and Z isn't fair. I don't understand my bill, that sort of thing. And and generally, the Western Law, Law Center is probably helping out lower income. Yes, residents. their focus is on as on lower income uh, folks, and because, and and this is just kind of an aside here, but because a lot of folks see, like generally, folks see water shutoffs and water debt as a as a low income issue, as a poor people's issue, and the reality is, it's very much in everyone, you know, everyone's backyard, you know, and it's not. It, it it tends to concentrate itself among low income folks and low income households, but it's very much a widespread issue, and uh, water unaffordability is really spiking. Water costs are up at over fifty percent over the across yeah, I was the country. Say, so is water unaffordable? Water can be unaffordable. Okay. Water affordability measurements are flawed in a lot of ways. They're measured as a percentage of 
medium household income right now, but the medium household income measurement that's used is is for the municipality as a whole. It doesn't necessarily take into account that municipalities might have a range of people living in that. Like this particular municipality, Buffalo, right? Yep. So, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i going to put you on the spot here for the numbers, and you're carrying around a lot of numbers in your computer and also <laughs> in your mind, and I appreciate you bearing with me here. But what about that? I mean, the, maybe the, the median income in the city of Buffalo, the median income in... Uh, a select zip code on the east side. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, th- this this was a really big takeaway from, you know, from trying to understand this issue locally. Um, so in the city, medium household income is about $37,000. Uh, and this, we, we looked at a lot of the, the data from 2019 to compare to the, the year that we did all of, uh, or, or that the water shutoffs occurred. Okay. So we wanted to kind of make those similar comparisons, you know, year by year. So it, it might be a little, little different now, but in 2019, about $37,000. Okay. Uh, in the zip code with the lowest rate of shutoffs for that year, which is 14222. Lowest rate of shutoffs. Lowest rate of shutoffs. Lowest, yeah. Um, 14222, mostly Elmwood Village area. Uh, it, the medium household income is about $59,000. Okay. Um, and water costs are the same across the city, just keep, to keep, you know, to keep that in mind. In the zip code with the highest rate of shutoffs, it's 14208, it, the medium household income is $29,000. So you're seeing a $30,000 difference in median income, and yet the costs of these essential utilities that are made available to every single city resident are the same. So in 2019, when the city of Buffalo increased their rates for the first time in, in several years, you know, they, they, they actually done a, a, a managed, you know, pretty d- decent job at, at trying not to increase the rates too much um, after having kind of a subsequent quick series of rate increases in, you know, in the two, you know, 2006 to 2010 time frame. Okay. They added in a residential affordable water program where certain residents that meet income qualifications qualify for rebates on their water bills. Rebates. So, yep. So in Not a discount, a rebate. Yep. So it lowered the water bill by a certain amount of money depending on the income. So they have, you know, if they have a qualifier for low income and for very low income. And for low income, it's about $15 uh, every quarter. And for very low income, it's $22.50 every quarter. So it's pretty nominal, all things considered, but it, it was kind of a step. And essentially what that, that the introduction of that program did was it, it buffered low-income residents from the increases that, that we saw in 2019. Those rebates essentially made it so that their water costs were the same, if not slightly lower for very low-income folks than what they would have been prior to the... Uh, resident or prior to the sorry the 2019 uh, rate increase that we saw. So not a heck of a lot of relief in that regard when it comes to it. Um, what about when it comes to just the idea that the water is a resource; it belongs to the people. Mm. Um, do we see movements maybe elsewhere where that is moving up? into the discussion that we can't have residents without water. That there are national advocates that have been advocating nationally for this for for a while and also st- you know statewide residents there's a really great group of folks 
that work across New York State doing advocacy, working on statewide legislation in partnership with various municipalities around the state, looking to to build uh, a public discourse around utility, affordability, and the right to specific utilities, especially especially water, which is so essential. And there's a lot of concerns that have been addressed by by those folks in particular the lack of federal involvement in this issue so federally they there there are certain programs that allow for low income folks to receive some sort of financial assistance when it comes to heat yep. when it comes to uh like communications lifeline and heap are examples Federally, there's no federal program that addresses water concerns. There's no federal oversight over water affordability. It's the we're the only uh, country considered to be having an advanced economy in the world that doesn't have an agency of that nature that really oversees, you know, the 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 ins and outs of of water distribution, make sure it's equitable, or or have the checks and balances at the federal level. So advocates really are are looking at some very key things looking at water debt and what that looks like and how it's increased, looking at ways to ease the burden of water costs for low-income households, and ultimately for ways to ensure long-term affordability through strategizing cost, more cost-effective ways to, to charge folks for water. And, you know, in an ideal world, yes, it's it's a, it belongs to all of us. It should be free and accessible but the reality is it's you know it's hard to offer a service like that with all the management involved and infrastructure and of infrastructure course, yeah. of course for free and so looking at more equitable rate structures really is a way forward to encouraging long-term affordability for for especially for lower income residents we're going to take a little break here on Buffalo What's Next. Anna, catch your breath. Have a little sip of your of your Publix coffee there, and uh, uh, we'll get back and uh, talk some more. As you can tell, this is a deep issue, and it's worth uh, noting for sure. Water shutoffs in the city of Buffalo disproportionately impacting low-income residents here in the city of Buffalo. We're going to talk some more with Anna Blatto from the Pub, uh, Partnership for the Public Good. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Support for WBFO, your NPR station comes from our members and from the UB Center for the Arts, featuring Wynton Marsalis on Friday, October 7th. This jazz legend leads the jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra for one night only. Tickets at ubcfa.org or at the Center for the Arts box office. UB Center for the Arts, where art is made and experienced. Support for WBFO comes from Elderwood, helping seniors and their families navigate life's transitions. At Elderwood, we know the way. More at elderwood.com. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org together we'll have the conversations that are needed this is wbfo 
your NPR station. And welcome back to Buffalo What's Next. We're talking about uh, water shutoffs in the city of Buffalo, Anna Blatto, from the uh, Partnership for the Public Good, uh, going uh, with us on this uh, topic and taking us on a very fascinating ride into how this all works. And um, again, commending you on your efforts of uh, digging up this information. That's yeoman's work for sure. Uh, we, when we went into break, we talked about maybe creating the idea of creating more equitable rate structures. Can you lay out what that might mean? Sure. So the Environmental Protection Agency has definitions of what affordable means when it comes to water and wastewater services for residents. And right now their measurement is 4.5% of medium household income is what's considered to be affordable. Okay. And while that might be a sustainable value for folks who are making a little bit more money it becomes a very large portion of income for especially for lower income folks and when water is also not tiered to match that it, it's hard right. to say okay well what what 4.5 percent might be you know for good well, for some back to our earlier discussion about uh, not to uh, necessarily pick on any particular issue but you know we, we have one zip code in the city of Buffalo, where the median income is almost $60,000, and then we have others where it's below $30,000. So obviously, uh, it's going to be disproportionately Absolutely. affecting those, those households. Exactly. And and so the flaw in that measurement is that that, that that measurement really doesn't look... A median measurement doesn't focus enough on the lowest income folks that would benefit the most from some sort of threshold being in place that that examines their their incomes more closely. So some affordability experts have recommended looking at income quintiles where income is broken up into five even distributed evenly distributed groups with the median kind of falling right in the middle of like the the, the third group. And then you look at the you know the first quintiles being the lowest income and then the fifth quintiles being the highest income and then refocusing water costs on a certain percentage of incomes as as they fall into those quintiles. So somebody who falls into quintile one, for example, the you know the lowest income group, they might not pay more than one percent, for example, on their on their water. So tiering water costs based on income. The reality of water affordability is that if water is unaffordable, you can have whatever water costs you want. You can raise the rate to be whatever you want. But if water is unaffordable, people won't be able to pay it. And it's going to be this constant game of let me pay a little bit of money to get my water turned back on, but I'm I, I'm still in water debt because I can't afford to pay it off. And what ends up happening a lot of times is that folks enter uh, maybe repayment plans, which are, are pretty decent plans. There's usually 0% interest over a set okay. period of time. Sometimes those plans, depending on how they're... Are there late fees involved? There can be, yes. Okay. And... During COVID, there were a couple different programs that got put into place where folks signed up for for plans uh, under under certain qualifiers. They could repay their water, kind of you know at the at it at the I guess the principal, so they they weren't paying any of the interest or the late fees. They, that would just that would just be eliminated if they were able to pay back on the principal. But what becomes difficult is you've got, let's say that you've got, I don't know, a thousand dollars in water debt and that's broken up into a, they, they've agreed on like a 12 month repayment plan. That's on top of your new water bills. So then you're, you're doing this repayment. It's on top of your new water bills and it might become very quick to say, okay, well, 
do I have to make a choice between electricity this month and mm. heat this month? And that's actually, we bring up a, a conversation earlier about a story that, you know, that we have. Please. We, uh, Steve worked with a client named Mike and, and Mike was very generous agreeing to speak with us at the beginning of the pandemic when we were advocating for water reconnection for folks who had, you know may have had their water shut off and that was that was kind of an urgent appeal in March 2020 but Mike was able to share his story and his story kind of focused around his needs and making difficult choices when it came to cost and and where he was going to put his limited income so he had some he was a veteran Vietnam veteran suffered from some health issues that caused him to not be able to work for a period of time and he would you know had to drive to the VA hospital for treatment so the money that he did have very limited income he did have he had to prioritize his car insurance to be able to get to the hospital uh, for treatment and uh, you know electricity heat and made a very difficult decision to say well, I'm going to live my life in a different way and not have running water in wow. my home and he used you know rainwater to flush his toilet and he bought bottled water and it was ultimately just more cost effective for him and we were able to uh, you know Steve was able to work with Buffalo Water to kind of get his water turned back on but the time he was living without water for almost 18 months and that he he might you know be in this kind of anomaly of, you know most folks probably aren't living without water for that long of a period of time but the difficult decisions that folks might have to make where it's you know you know we can manage without running water in the house we need money for other things that that those are the decisions that folks are having to make and we need to also mention though it doesn't happen a lot there is the possibility of foreclosure if you do not pay your water bills yeah and Water debt can be added to the lien on the on the property. Technically, the city is allowed to foreclose for just water debt, although a lot of times folks who are in water debt, low-income folks might find themselves in other types of debt, tax debt, et cetera, that, that adds on top of that. Um, there was a period of time, this is kind of an interesting aside, uh, in I think it was like 2008 or 2009, where the city paused all water, any foreclosure that had water, related to it, water debt related to it because of billing inaccuracies. There was just a huge issue with billing inaccuracies. And, and this is what the different frame. private company It was with things? the private company prior to Veolia. Um, and that, that's, that's actually a major reason why the city switched was because of um, dissatisfaction with the company that was managing it privately prior uh, some issues that, you know, with them and, and the customer service they were providing. Uh, but one thing that we do find even today with, with the cost structure with the you know the billing structure and the way that the bills are presented is that the bills can be really challenging to interpret. Oh, really? Yeah. So the actual bill itself, the bills that you receive every month, those are pretty straightforward. They give you a kind of a clear idea. This is how much water you used. This is your flat rate cost. This is your volume cost. Here's, here's what you owe. Do you have any past due balances? But let's say that somebody's in substantial water debt maybe they owe let's i define substantial as maybe over a thousand dollars or you know some, somewhere around there a sure. couple of years behind a couple of years behind and maybe you're looking at okay well you know what are these costs i'm ready to you know see how i can get this paid off what are these costs and you're looking at these ledgers 
And as part of the, this research, we actually brought one of the ledgers to an, an accountant, somebody with a PhD in, in economics uh, at, at UB. It took a PhD to figure it out. Uh, no, because uh, <laughs> they didn't. They couldn't. Uh, so we have all these charges here, and it's like, uh, you know, the, the interest is charged at the same rate as unpaid city taxes. So you've got like a beginning interest that's like 4.5%, and then it drops down to 1.5%, and then you've got these fees that are all defined in the schedule of rates and fees that the you know Buffalo Water has available, but it's really uh, challenging because a lot of times on these ledgers, what you'll see is like interest, and then it's this value, and it's fee, and then there's this value, and it's not defined where it came from or what it was for. And a lot of times, you know, this is this has happened several times when, you know, and I hear this from Steve when he was, you know, kind of inquiring about different clients' bills. You go, well, what is this fee and what is it from? Like, it seems to match up with this, but we're not entirely sure. And, well, you know, again, anecdotally, we have folks, you know, who are looking at it being like, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what it is. It might be this, it might be that. So that's that's a, you know, it, kind of jumping a little bit, but sure. that, that's a an advocacy point for us, you know, is, is for more fair and equitable billing practices and billing structure so that when you get a charge, you can see exactly where it's coming from. No questions, no debate. We want to know like exactly how that was calculated and how that, that showed up um, on, on your ledger. Any suspicion as to why that's the case? I mean, is it one of those things that sometimes uh, companies are bureaucratic and can be inefficient and maybe... Don't do things clearly. It just kind of turns out that way. Or is there a suspicion that it's inscrutable for 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 a purpose? You know, I don't want to necessarily say it's it's for a purpose. I mean, it, it probably doesn't hurt the company necessarily, unless somebody really wants to dive deeply and say, "Please, like, I I need you to explain this to me." But I think what it turns into is whatever system is used to manage the costs and manage the ledgers, whatever documentation they're able to provide just isn't programmed to be particularly clear. So, you know, not it, customer friendly, it's not customer friendly. That's really what it boils down to. And it's, it's, you know, this back end system that really, you know, maybe wasn't designed. It's maybe designed to be really helpful for monthly bills where the monthly bills are pretty clear. But as soon as we start adding other fees and costs, it becomes very difficult to interpret. It's interesting when you started talking about it in this realm, and I just use the term customer friendly. It almost seems when it comes to dealing with water, and maybe this is the way it is with other utilities, the residents aren't customers. They're, well, you can you fill in the blank of what they are. I mean, they have to do this, they have to follow a certain way, and yet the system isn't really set up for a customer's needs. I mean, I know you have some customer service background. You know what you have to do to, to please a customer. It doesn't sound like that's necessarily a priority here. Yeah, and I think it's because it's it's monopolistic in its own sense. So I think, you know, and this is just, just thinking out loud a little bit here, the reason a public utility is public is because it's essential. And it's essentially provided services like water, heat, electricity. And a lot of times, you know, they might be privately managed, but the problem when it comes down to it is that then it becomes monopolistic. So I think right now about uh, about wireless internet, for example. Sure. In Buffalo. You have to have it. Yeah, you have to have it. It's it was never public. It's you know always been private, and now now the public sector is kind of getting involved and in saying we're gonna we're gonna spend public money on investing in in you know this type of infrastructure and subsidizing, et cetera, et cetera. But 
when you look at the companies that like, let's say I want to sign up for internet in Buffalo, I have basically one option. And, and, and that isn't that in, in a, in a structure of, of capitalism, that's not how it's supposed to work, right? It's supposed to be like, I have all these options and I, you know, I'm able to negotiate and get, get a good deal. But you know, in Buffalo, we only have one option. And that's kind of what these utility companies are turning into. They can kind of, they have a lot of leeway. You know, of course, they have to work within the structure of the law. Right. And that's the biggest difference is that there's a lot of legal code and structure around how these companies are able to operate. But when they're the only company that is able to provide water to a large group of people, it's kind of like if you want water, you just got to got to work with it. You're going to play that game? Yeah, a little bit. And it's, you know, some of it might be, you know, intentional. Some of it probably isn't. And it's just the way things are and the way things operate. Yeah, Anna, uh, I, we, we still have a, a few minutes to go here, and I want to continue our conversation, but just bef- I don't want to get lost when we run out of time. If somebody wanted to know a little bit more about this report, is it uh, is it available? It will be in, okay. in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's been a kind of a long time coming. It will be on uh, PPG's website, ppgbuffalo.org, and it should be available in the next couple of weeks, I would say. And I also want to bring attention. I thought we were going to fall back on this, but we had no, no trouble uh, carrying this time talking about this water issue in the city of Buffalo. You previously did a a report on the history of segregation yes. in the city of Buffalo. Is that report available as well? Yes, absolutely. That that report's available on PPG's website as well, ppgbuffalo.org. And that report gives a brief overview of the history of segregation and some of the modern implications. And it's a great starting point if you are looking to read and understand more about the root policy causes of segregation because it it, it didn't happen by accident. It was very much intentional. And the ways by which it persists even today are equally or similarly as intentional. So that that is the baseline for a lot of the equity research that that we do is is that it's within the context of a city that has experienced intense segregation and and uh you know racial divides over the course of of over a century i think it's a a, a topic that has become of greater interest here in the last few months in the, in the city of buffalo again that's ppg.org ppgbuffalo.org yeah. ppgbuffalo.org some invaluable information for you there We've got about four minutes to go, three minutes to go here, and I didn't. I, I, we we did not get to a lot of the the topics that we wanted to get into, but I know there were some things that you definitely wanted to stress beforehand. I, I'll allow, I'm going to allow you this time to, yeah, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's two things that I just want to emphasize uh, in, in the last time here. One is that the geography of water shutoffs and and the Buffalo's presence of, of segregation and, and, and the way that the city is, is oriented are very much related. And when we mapped water shutoffs, we looked at residential occupied properties that experienced a water shutoff, and we found a high concentration of water shutoffs, of course, in low-income communities, which, which lines up low-income, you know, difficulty affording bills, but also communities of color and uh, with, with a particular focus on, on uh, you know, communities with primarily black residents. And what we found through our data, and this is like extremely alarming and, and draws even more importance to, to, the, to, to addressing this issue, emphasizing this issue, is, is that even when controlling for income, there's still a relationship between water shutoffs and communities of color. And so that's to say that if, you know, if income levels, and, and by virtue of, of uh, 
history and economic implications and racism and, and you know all these all these elements segregation it, it does tend that that residents of color often have lower you know lower incomes as a as a conglomerate right but even when controlling for that you see this this volume of shutoffs happening in communities of color which is which is uh, it just astounding and and uh makes this issue even more worthwhile to to address and and uh and present solutions for and, and discuss have, have community discussions around solutions for um the other thing i do want to say too is that the city has taken some steps and i do want to applaud the city of buffalo because they are looking to use american rescue plan money to make some serious changes to the way that w- water is structured and uh, to address affordability concerns. So, for example, they are planning to address, I believe it's $40 million in, in infrastructure uh, improvements, which ultimately we hope will help keep costs lower for residents because if the infrastructure improvement money is coming from this separate pool that was you know, unexpected, then maybe it will lower costs on the, you know, in the long term or can be used as a way to innovate on on cost changes. The other thing, and this is the most substantial, is that the city is committed to $13 million for debt forgiveness for Buffalo Water uh, customers. And there's been a little bit of information in the American Rescue Plan documents about how this will work, but there hasn't really been much discussion since maybe late 2021, a little bit here and there, you know, in 2022 about how it's it's going to be structured or maybe who's going to be involved in, in that program. But we are really excited to see that and water debt forgiveness is the, m- the most difficult thing to to get a, a municipality i think to commit to when it comes to long-term affordability because it's a huge lump sum expense right and the, a lot of cities don't see the value in spending money in that way but really the value is this you're sitting you're paying back yourself uh and you're getting allowing people a fresh a fresh start and i think that that that's going to be really exciting when you know when more details about that are are available Anna Blatto of the Partnership for the Public Good. First, thanks for your time, and thanks for uh, doing this important research. Thanks for having me. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO.